Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. So I don't know if you have ever heard of who William Smith is. Likely not, or sorry, not William Smith, William Miller. William Miller was part of the War of 1812. He was a farmer in Vermont, and he really was a godless man until about 1816. And um, that's when he decided to give his heart to Jesus. Before that, he was what was called a deist, had a rationalistic approach to life. And somehow God got a hold of him, miraculously. And he started studying the Word of God in, in, in such a, an intense way that He began to take a look at at some of the things in Scripture, particularly the book of Daniel he was interested in. And what happened was, he does this equation. He says in Daniel chapter 8 verse 14, it talks about the fact that in 2,300 days, the sanctuary will be cleansed. Okay, well that's an interesting thing. A day actually can mean a year, and the cleansing of the sanctuary may mean it's the eradication of evil on the earth, therefore the end. And so what he does is he studies and he finds out that the James Usher, who's an influential Anglican bishop, basically said that that prophecy was made in 457 B.C. So 457 B.C. plus 2,300 years equals 1843. Therefore, he began to say, and he'd, he had calculated this in his early years as a Christian, But it wasn't until 1831 that he began to begin to talk about this fact, that Jesus was going to return in 1843. And soon he began to become invited to a number of churches to talk about it. It wasn't until 1838 that it took on a momentous value. And he was was publishing articles. He was being asked to come to church after church after church. Soon what happened was there were 50,000 people in America at that time who believed this is exactly what was going to happen. And probably hundreds of thousands of other people who kind of looked up to figure out, well, maybe this is true. I'm not too sure. We'll see what's happening. So what happened was he said, no one knows the day or the hour, but they do know the year. We could probably know the year. Scripture's telling us this. So the Hebrew, the Hebrew year at that time started on March 21st. 1843, March 21st, uh, sorry, 1844, sorry. And so we have a year. And so, as we all know, 1843 came and 1834 left. I must have made some wrong calculations. And one person stood up and said, but you have forgot about the tarrying time that is in Habakkuk chapter 2 and 3 in Leviticus 25, 9. How could we have forgotten the tarrying time? It's not 1843. It is 1844. So what became a one-year wait was extended to a two-year wait. And as we all know, 1844, Four came, and 1844 left. And since then, we have not learned the lesson of William Miller, have we? Because since that time happened, there have been another. The most notable that I remember in my lifetime um, was 1988. 
And I think that there was a book that said so many reasons that the Lord is going to come in 18, or 1988. And, and again, what happened, of course, was that it had come and it had gone. And, and we are stuck with this, this whole pattern. And, and this is kind of special to me because I was saved in the 1980s through a movie which was called A Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder. Wave at me. You remember those movies? And I remember as a child, 13 years old, don't do the math, folks, sorry, accepting Jesus as my Savior. I've been living for God ever since, but it was as a result of a message that was on the end times, the fact that Jesus could return. And, and the funny thing that I believe is that we barely ever hear anything about the second coming of Christ, the, the parousia, the rapture, that Jesus returns for his church. And it's almost like we have hit the opposite extreme. As a young child growing up, that was continually something that was on, on the point. Right now, we hear nothing about it. It's almost like we're on the other end of the spectrum, and we are 40 years closer to that return. With all the things that are going on, we have to continually ask ourselves, what is going on as we read the times and as we read the scriptures? So throughout the summer months, I wanted to take some time to explore the subject of the end times. What does the Bible say about it? Why is it so important to us? Why is it important to have a sound biblical perspective? Like other than my interest, other than the fact that it's interesting things to read, it is important for you to have a biblical, a biblical view on the end times. It, it, it changes the way you look at things. It changes the way it, you're affected. It changes how you live your life. And my goal is not to put the square peg of Scripture and try and hammer it into the round hole of our times and of our generation. But what I want to do is I want to be biblical. I want to allow the Scripture to speak for itself. And this is an important thing for us to do, to continue to remain Scripture. And at this point, there are two groups of people, isn't there? There's the one individual who talks about it all the time. They are infatuated with the end times. It is something they want continually preached on. It is something that they continually preach on. Do we know a person like that? If you don't know a person like that, you might be that person. At the other end of the spectrum, there, are, there is the person who does not care at all, does not consider it at all. Basically what they say, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and, and I really can't do anything about it, and really, I don't really think about it all. Oh, I've got too many other things to think about, and, if I, and if, I, if I were to say it's better to be on one extreme than the other, I guess I would probably choose the fact that it is easier, it is maybe better to be one who continually observes the one who's infatuated in the fact that he could be coming at any time. And the reason for that is because there's an old saying is this, it's easier to teach someone who's fanatical on something than to resurrect a corpse. <laughs> and, and, and for those who don't believe it, it is not a good thing. For those who overbelieve it, it is not necessarily a good thing. But the truth of the matter is this. The Bible tells us that it is an important thing to understand, to get a grasp of, to, to live out and uh, it will change the way you live, and it will change the way that you give, and it will change the way that you forgive, and it will change the way you interact with people, the intensity with how you serve Jesus, 
how I speak to people outside of, of my faith community. These are all important things. It'll allow me to live more introspectively, more soberly. And if, and if you don't believe there's that much of Scripture having to do with the end times, with, with Jesus returning, you would be wrong. Almost every one of the New Testament authors talk about the imminent return of Jesus. I've even heard that there are up to 300 verses talking about the end times. And, um, and of that, if you consider that, one in every 30, maybe close to one in every 30 verses in, in the New Testament deal with Jesus coming, Jesus returning. It's an important thing. It's, it's the, the first verse which is mentioned in the book of Revelation. These are things that will be happening shortly. And then at the, the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, says, He who testifies to these things, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, it says. That's the second last verse of the Bible. Talks about it. What's the last one? I'm not sure. Have a nice day. No, I think it's, kind of, I think it's like the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ be with you all. Which is kind of like... Old Testament talk or just spiritual talk for have a nice day. Really, that would be kind of funny, wouldn't you think? All these things are taking place and angels and bottles of wrath and everything taking place. Have a nice day. That's funny, folks. I'm sorry. Anyways. Um, he talks about, but John also talks in John uh, chapter 2 verse 18. He says, little children, this is the last hour. He says, this is how we know because the spirit of Antichrist is, is already among us. You need to beware because Antichrist is here. This is how we know it's the last times. Even Peter. Peter in his writer says a few things. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Even James. What's so important about James? The very first book of the Bible, the very first epistle, the earliest manuscript is James. It's not Matthew. We didn't find Matthew first and then Mark and then Luke and then John. We didn't find him in that order. Basically what happened is they took the canon of Scripture, but Luke is the earliest manuscript that is in the canon of Scripture. Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. Talks about the farmers happen, and they have to be patient for, for all this to take place. He's talking uh, about um, the end times, which is taking place. Uh, Paul gets into the, into the crowd as well, and, and he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. Paul was very much talking about the fact that Jesus could come at any time. In particularly, one church had this interest. It was the Thessalonican church. In Thessalonians, Paul has to deal with some issues. What was happening in Thessalonica was the fact that there were people who were confused. These are new Christians trying to figure this whole thing. They realized that Jesus could come at any time, but some were afraid that he already had come. Now what are we going to do? Well, stay, stay a couple of weeks, enjoy the sermon series, and you'll find out. The other thing is this. People had already died. And the ultimate question that, that Paul starts to answer to the, um, the Thessalonian church is, hey, you know, even though these people are died, have died, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are affected by the rapture, because this is what's going to take place. And this is kind of where we get this, this major passage of Scripture. 
Now, there's some key things that we learn about the second coming of Jesus for his church. Not the second coming of Jesus in judgment, but for the church. And there's things that are said in both 1 Thessalonians and in 2 Thessalonians. Key things that are said in 2 Thessalonians. But I want to... I Focus on this main passage of scripture many of us have kind of heard about and many of us have read a number of times. So let me just kind of read that for you. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. Hopefully you've gotten that in your app already. It says this, says this. But I do not want you to be ignorant brothers or brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will be with him to those who sleep with Jesus. You see him answering the question? For this way, for, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I've always wondered what that word is going to be. What is he going to show? It's not going to be, ah, it'll probably be some type of word. Would it not? It's a good question. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, raptured, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse chapter 5, it says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you do not have to be, you do not need that I should be should write unto you for yourselves to know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you like a thief. Wow. Powerful passage of scripture. He talks about some of the things that Jesus has said in his ministry. If anyone talked about the second coming, it was Jesus, particularly through Mark, or sorry, particularly through Matthew and through Luke. And Jesus uses these examples. He uses a, a woman who is in labor, or a thief who comes, and he says, yeah, if, you, if, you, if you knew the thief was coming, you would make sure that you were ready. Also, he kind of gives a parable, these ten virgins, and, and five of them are ready, and, and, and five of them are not prepared, and, and the, the bridegroom comes, and they miss it. He says, you need to be awake. You need to be ready as to what is going on and taking place. No man knows the day or the hour that he's going to come. We need to live, he says, in light of the imminent return of Jesus. Now, what do you mean by imminent? Imminent is a word or a term which is used to talk about the fact that at any time it could happen. I remember as a child, my dad got off at 4.30. So that means that dinner kind of had to be ready by the time he got there. Remember that? This kind of, you know, remember a time when just the father kind of worked and the, and the, the wives were able to stay home and, and it was a little bit more predictable. I'm sure it's totally different now. So let me go back 150 years ago when I was a kid. So my dad got off work at 4.30, which meant that between, you know, 4.45, 5 o'clock, I could count on the fact that my dad was coming home. He hadn't returned. He hadn't come yet. You know, the food was already prepared. We're all ready, set to go. 
until dad shows up. It's probably the best picture I can, can tell you of what imminency is about. That we need to be expectant of the imminent return of Christ. Christ. And why is this important? What are the advantages? Why are you wasting your wind on something like this, Pastor Mike? Because it truly will change you if you do. What it does, first of all, is it makes us evangelical or evangelistic. You ever notice the first thing that he talks about? The first thing he addresses, he talks about this. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant to those people who have fallen asleep. Their first care was not for themselves. Their first care were for people who were in eternity or the prospect of them being in eternity. I think that's very interesting. I think that the rapture should be one thing that maybe will cause me not so much to think about myself, but to think about other people. If I had to be quite honest with you, there are certain things that scare me about the fact that Jesus could return at any time. One, and probably most importantly, is the fact that I have people who I love very much, who I cannot imagine heaven without, that don't know Jesus. And that weighs on me, or at least should weigh heavily upon me. The question I have for you is, does it to you as well? Now, you can tell how much a believer believes in the imminent return of Jesus by how anxious they are to win their friends or by how anxious they are to at least pray for their friends. Like I can understand if you have told your friend about Jesus a thousand times and they've slammed the door in your face a thousand times that it can be kind of hard. But I should at least have a prayer list. I should at least have a people say, God, these are the people that I want to see in heaven. I want them to get saved before they day or before you come. The, when I forget that Jesus could return at any time, evangelism loses its urgency. It makes me evangelistic. But at the same time, it makes me excited. Does it not? It says, it says in verse 13, you don't soar like those who have no hope. When Christ comes into your life, you get a new status. You get a new position. You get a new identity. And with that identity becomes an unfailing hope. Don't you think? Identity is important to understand. Do you understand who you are? If you do, it should change you. It's the fact that God grants to you the fact that you are born again. He has given you his character. His spirit is in us. We are the people of light and day, according to John chapter 8, verse 12. And if we, and if we think eternally and we ask what our identity is, that we are eternal beings made in the image of God, it makes us prepare, prepare for Christ's eternal. It becomes exciting. And that's just the introductory way that it's exciting. I think of other reasons why it's exciting. There are people who I haven't seen. I have a friend that died at 26 of a brain tumor, loved Jesus with all of his heart. I begin to wonder when we meet in the air, what kind of reunion is that going to be? Am I going to see my friend Tim, who loved Jesus, was a hilarious guy. And, and I remember just yesterday watching a, uh, a show which was called Long, Long Lost Home or something like that. It's about people who were adopted and separated at birth and after 30 years, they see one another. And I can't help with getting tears in my eyes when I think of that, the reunion that happens, the, the level of emotion 
What's going to happen when Jesus returns? What is the, the, the reunion aspect of things going to be like? It's going to be mind-boggling. But even above that is the fact that you are going to see Jesus. You are going to see him. You have prayed to him. You have cried out to him. You have cast all your cares upon him. You have surrendered to him very daily. But at this point, you will actually see him. Isn't that absolutely incredible, mind-boggling if we, if we just stop to consider the excitement of that moment? I know we've sang that song. I can only imagine. It's still an extremely popular song. How old is that song? 15 years old? There's something about that song that resonates with me. You know, how am I going to react? Am I going to dance at your presence? And at your feet, am I going to fall? What am I going to say? Will I be able to say and sing anything at all? I can only imagine the reunion and the fact that the suffering will be gone. And this is something I don't know if we totally grasp in North American society. And I'm not saying that we haven't suffered. I'm not saying there aren't hard times that we've gone through. But in comparison to what has happened in a number of countries where all you make is a dollar a day or two dollars a day and you don't have access to some of the things that we have, I don't know if we really understand suffering. It won't be exciting when all of that is gone, when all of that is relieved compared to knowing Jesus and the rest of the world in history is exciting. It makes me evangelical, it makes me excited, it certainly makes me ethical certainly causes me to take a look at the fact that there's a close connection between my identity and my behavior. If we understand who we are, it will dictate the way that I live. If being a child of God is the most important part of our identity, that will reflect in my life. And like, there's two passages of scriptures that talk about that. One is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, where, where Jesus says, hey, wake up. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wake up from the dead and Christ will give you light, it says. The other, one's in, in, um, the other one is found in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 14. It says, he begins to talk about casting off the works of darkness. For the salvation is near when we expect it. He says, get up. Live like you're supposed to. That word for cast off there. The only other times in the New Testament that it is used, it is in reference to excommunication. Breaking off fellowship. Break off fellowship with the things that are turning you away from God because your salvation is nearer than it may appear. Saying this, it should affect the way that you live in a way. It makes me ethical. It makes me encouraged. You ever notice something in that, in that passage of Scripture? That is the spot where Paul says to the believers, encourage one another with these words. Do you realize that there's a number of Scriptures that talk about encouragement and the second coming of Jesus? You know the other one's found? In Romans. You know that passage of Scripture in Romans where it says, you know, as this day is approaching, we should be meeting together more often right? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You know that verse that we use when we don't see somebody for three weeks and we kind of say, hey, where are you? Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You need to be in church. It's talking about, it's talking about the importance of this so that you are encouraged because Jesus could come 
at any time. The encouragement is tied into the fact that we need to believe in the imminent return of Jesus. Whatever grief, whatever despair, whatever you are currently enduring is not permanent. In the light of eternity, it is only a minute. And we need to understand that we are only visiting this planet. There's a Christian artist a number of years ago penned the words to the song. What a mess this world is in. I wonder who began it. Don't ask me. I'm only visiting this planet. It's true. You know, and that's no light statement. Because we live in a discouraging world, a depressing world, where divorce and abuse and addiction and hatred and unforgiveness and just plain depression seem to be reigning in our society today. And you might be in that place here sitting this morning, or you might be online and feeling that exact feeling. Or what has happened is what happens, you're in a perpetual state of despair or discouragement basically because you are so tethered to this world that you have forgotten. That happens a lot. I often find it, and I know that I've said this before, and because I know everyone has not sat and listened to every sermon that I've ever preached, I know I've said this before. I am amazed that Jesus tells us to remember, and his ministry tells us to remember one person. You would think it would be Moses. You would think it would be Daniel. You would think it would be any one of these characters. But he says, remember Lot's wife. Why does he tell us to remember Lot's wife? Well, because Lot's wife was so tied to this world that she couldn't back away. And what the feeling that Jesus could come at any time tells us is this. Don't be tethered to this world. It's only temporary for you. It may seem like a long time. But Jesus could come at any time. Encouragement is crucial to our faith. It should be one of the most important things in the church. Encourage one another with the fact that everything that you do, and it may have been a number of years that you may be going through this situation or scenario, in the light of eternity, it means nothing. The fact that Jesus could come at any time is a source of hope and encouragement to us. It's also, it makes us expectant, doesn't it? It's probably the most important thing, or one of us. Like, again, Paul talks about what Jesus says. Take a look at, at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's, he's going to come like a thief in the night. Those aren't his words. Those were Jesus' words, really. Hey, if you know the thief is going to show up here at your home, you're going to be ready. It's like a woman in childbirth. Everything's fine. Eight o'clock in the morning, it's fine. Nine o'clock in the morning, it could be travail. I'm not speaking from experience, folks. <laughs> we all know what it's like. I'll tell you this really quick. Our first child, the first pain came and my wife had my arm in her mouth ready to chomp down. I know that it's painful and it's sudden. And so with that, there's this level of expectancy. And I confess that at times, I find it difficult to live with expectancy. Almost like an overzealous cheerleader. You know what I mean? I don't know if I can be at that level all the time. But expectancy is a very much a part of our faith, or at least should be a part of our faith. We serve a God that can do anything. 
And if we serve a God who can do anything, then my life should be expectant in so many ways. As you came to the service today, what were you expecting? Because chances are you will get what you expect. If you come to the service with a level of expectancy, I think God moves to the level of expectancy. If your expectancy is the fuel, if your expectancy is the fuel as to what is going to happen in the service today, how good of a service is it going to be? We need to be expecting that God is going to do great things. We need to pray with expectancy. We need to pray with an expectancy that God can do absolutely everything. Amen? In our in our work, if you have a business, if you go to work, we need to, to go with a level of expectancy for God to do things because he can do all things. We need to live our life with expectancy. So does it not figure that if Satan could do anything to take away your expectancy, he has won three quarters of the battle? It's true. Without expectancy, we become dull. We become routine. We go into that rut. We become cynical. We become skeptical. Soon nothing moves and you begin to blame that Dullness on perhaps something else. This is why I believe God commands us to live with expectation. It makes us expectant. Jesus could come anytime. I'm on the edge of my feet, expecting God to do something at any time. Now, I didn't get a chance to double check this statistic. Um, but I have heard, and this was the, this was the, the, the thing that I've come across, and I, again, I... I, I didn't get a chance to double check it. That there was an insurance group that recently looked at 65,000 fatal crashes in the U.S. They wanted to determine what the number one reason for fatal crashes was. Now, I would imagine that there would be something about drunk driving. There would be something about, about texting and, and changing the radio. But they were saying that perhaps one of the most dangerous reasons for these fatal crashes is this. Daydreaming. Falling asleep at the wheel. You're driving along. All of a sudden you close your eyes. Car's still going. But you're unaware of what is ahead. And I think that the same thing applies for us. Have we become spiritually drowsy? Have we lost the expectation? Have you... Have you come to the point where you've just started living for the moment or are you actually living for eternity? Do you understand your destiny? If you don't understand your destiny, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day that you accept him. It's not black and white. Or sorry, there's no gray area. You either know him or you don't know him. If you don't know him or you don't think you know him, if you're unsure if you know him, you need to give Jesus your whole life. You need to pray and say, God, I'm a sinner. You need to come in. I want to surrender my life to you. Why do you do this? There's lots of reasons. It's the best life you could possibly live. It allows you to be part of the family of God. It ensures you that your sins are forgiven. The reality that Jesus could come at any time. God, I just pray that you will minister to each and every one of us. And Lord, I need help as I start this series over the summer, talking about the end times. There's so many avenues and things, but I think it would be, it'd be wrong for me 
um, not to ask if there's anyone who's here who does not know Jesus, if they would want for me to pray for them. You're here this morning and you may not know Jesus or you're not sure if you know Jesus or not. Can I pray for you? If that's you, every head bowed, nobody looking around. You need prayer. Can you please pray for me? I'm not too sure where I am spiritually, but I want to know. Anyone there? Anyone up in the balcony might be in there. Might be at that area. Okay. I know it's one or two. Lord, I just pray for those people who are here, and it is a divine moment for them. And they're just saying, God, I'm going to give you my heart and my life. Basically starts that says, that goes something like this. Dear Lord, I thank you that you came, you died on a cross for my sins. And Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't earn heaven myself, but I need for you to come in and, and be the Lord and the controller of my life. And so I ask you at this time, Father, to come into my life and make me a son and a daughter of God and to forgive my sins and to allow me to have a spot in eternity. And if you could, you were to come before this service is over, I would be ready to go. So Lord, I just pray that prayer. I ask God that you come in. Pray for the touch of the Holy Spirit to move. And so Lord, as well, God, what I do is I pray for those of us who have to take on the challenge, Lord, to begin to live with expectancy, to begin to live with a vigor that says, Jesus, come at any time. My life needs to reflect that. God, get me out of the rut that I am and in. Allow me to find a place in the, in the, in the spot that, God, you have me to utilize my gifts, to, to be strong for you, God, to make a difference somehow in some way, God. I just surrender to that. Let me leave with the, in this place with the, with the realization that you could come at any time. And although that's excitement, that just still means that I got a job to do. So Lord, be with all of us. Be with me, God. We just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand at this time? I'm going to open the altar for anyone who needs prayer of any sort. You know, don't wait for an invitation. If God is tugging your heart, come on out to the front. We'll pray with you for whatever is there. Let's allow the Spirit of God to move. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.